Okay. So, um, last Sunday was a Sunday called Palm Sunday. Okay. Um, and I want to kind of talk about Palm Sunday and like, I love this week. I love Easter week. I love the Passion Week. I, I love this week. Um, because there's so much, um, there's so much imagery and symbolism in all of this of this story, and I want to talk about that. Okay, so this is going to be a continuation of our Jesus is series, and it's called Jesus is the Lion and the Lamb. So if you want to write that at the top of your notes, please do. And this this Palm Sunday is the beginning of Passion Week, right? Um, and it is the final week of Jesus's earthly life. Um, and this all this all leads to Passover, the crucifixion, and beyond, right? Okay. So um, in this story of Palm Sunday, uh, we see a lot of contrasting views of Jesus in this story. We see Jesus as the Lion of Judah, and then we see the Lamb of God, all in in this in this uh, all in this passage of what we're going to be kind of studying tonight. Okay. Um, we see the coming of the Lamb of God. Okay, we've all heard of the triumphal entry. Yes, we're going to be talking a lot about that. Okay. God made a covenant with Abraham by his bloodline, um, and his bloodline, Abraham's bloodline, is very, very significant to Jewish culture, okay? Um, and real quick, pop quiz, does anybody know what the Lord ordained Jew, Jews and Israel to do before Jesus came? Nobody? Before he came to it? Yeah, before or... Jesus ever came, what was the commission that God sent? Jaden, do you know? You want to take a shot? Anybody want to take a shot at this? Come on, take the risk. Come on, let's hear it, Jaden. I feel like I know, but the wording is confusing. Um, the commission that they had. Yeah. I'd like to say to prepare the way for the Messiah, but I know that there are other things that they did. Um it wasn't exactly the great commission that Jesus gave because the Jews were his chosen people at the time. Um, and you can't really like, I, I want to say that because I don't feel like you can convert to Judaism just spontaneously like, I'm a Jew, but I don't know where you're going with this. Okay, cool. No, that's all right. Um, so I I'm, I'm, want to kind of unravel 
uh, what his first commission was before Jesus even stepped onto the planet. Um, and I, I want, this is, um, some might say that this is a message that's kind of heady. Um, and it's kind of, there's a lot going on up in, in your brain, but it's all going to make a lot of sense in the, in the very end. Okay. Um, so that's why I need you to ask questions if you have them, um, and make sure that I'm not leaving anybody in the dust. Okay, cool. All right. So God promised Abraham himself that he would, um, that he would keep his side of the covenant or agreement and all of the generations after him would see that same promise, okay? Um, and there is this clarity moment that God will provide a lamb, okay? Um, that is the yelling of God to all of his people from all of mankind up until Jesus came was, I will provide the lamb. That was the promise, right? Does everybody understand that that was the promise that they were waiting for? The lamb equals Messiah. Hey, show me the Messiah. Show me the Messiah. Similar to what Jaden said, uh, but there was a, there's a little bit more. Um, so you guys remember the story of Abraham and Isaac, yes? Cool. It's where Abraham takes his son Isaac to the top of the mountain, and uh, he's uh, the Lord tells Abraham to sacrifice his son um, Isaac. Abraham willingly um, is about to do it. Angel interrupts him and says, no, 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 don't do that. I just see how high you hold me on your totem pole now. And then Abraham looks up and sees a ram or a spotless lamb um, with its head tied up in a thorn bush, right? Uh, we've studied this before. You can read that on your own. That's somewhere, I think, in Genesis. Um, there's a lot of whatever. I think it's in Genesis. Um, so read that, that all of the, the, all of the imagery and symbolism says, I will provide the lamb. I will provide the lamb. I will provide the lamb every single time. Um, all through, all through the old Testament, it's always, I will provide the lamb. Okay. So remember that as we talk for, uh, talk through this for quite a bit tonight. Okay. This was the prophetic symbolism of I will provide the lamb. So this Palm Sunday um, was not always um, called Palm Sunday. Jesus and his disciples in Jewish culture did not call this Palm Sunday. Um, it's what modern day Christianity now calls Palm Sunday, um, just because they look at the surface level of actually what happened on this day and people wave palm branches at Jesus and that's now what they name <laughs> The beginning of Passion Week. I don't know why, but that's aside the point. Um, it's just very surface level, which uh, is okay. But um, Palm Sunday back then was actually uh, better known as Lamb Selection Day. Okay, um, Lamb Selection Day. It's a fascinating thing, right? It seems like a really weird day to celebrate, um, but it, it's a it's a really big deal. And why Jesus's uh, triumphal entry is so important and so profound to us today. Um, on this day, the people of Israel came to Jerusalem for Passover, the Passover festival, right? Uh, Passover is not just a Jewish holiday. It's not just a Jewish celebration. It's not just a Jewish thing. Um, it's what people of God decide to celebrate. 
and people marked by God decide to acknowledge is Passover. Um, that's why we do Passover Seder. Um, you know, it's 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 a big part of um, who we are as God's people. Okay. Um, but on Passover, everybody had to pick a lamb and prepare it and get it ready for the Passover sacrifice. In Exodus 12, write that down. Uh, you can read that on your own time of how and what the Passover actually is and all of the beauty uh, kind of tied up in it. Okay? Um, uh, it's Exodus just chapter 12. The whole thing. <laughs> Uh, it's not it's not too long-winded because it's actually super super interesting of like how it all came to be um, but yeah for all it's worth Palm Sunday or um, lamb selection day um, is the people is when all of Jerusalem ended up coming into Israel to celebrate this festival for lack of a better term okay um, usually, um, at that time in, at, at this time period that we're going to be reading of when Jesus actually shows up and says, Hey, here I am kind of thing. Um, there was about 50 to 80,000 people living in the city. But at this Passover festival time, there was upwards of 3 million people in this one city. Okay, so it's not just some little little blip on the radar like Valentine's Day. You know, it's like this big, big moment in history where three million people come to this city to celebrate this uh, this um, this holiday, if you will. Okay, um, this was uh, this was again birthed Exodus twelve a long, long time ago before Jesus. Okay, just want to clarify that. This was not started because of Jesus. Okay? Do we understand that? This was already happening. People are all, were already um, already um, providing themselves lambs so that they would be passed over. Okay? This was already happening before Jesus. And then Jesus shows up on Lamb Selection Day. Okay? See, now you should start getting the smile already on your face of like, oh, so that's why this is such a big deal. Yeah, this is a big deal, okay? Um, and just to add a little bit more context, every family um, selected a lamb that they would then sacrifice. It wasn't per person, okay? Um, so I want to kind of look at this lamb in imagery. I know that on the surface it's super obvious and it's just like, well, yeah, duh, kind of thing Jesus is the lamb but like why 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 would we call Jesus a lamb you know have you ever thought of why we call Jesus a lamb cool well now I'm going to tell you okay so there's this guy in the midst of lamb selection day saying I am the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world that's amazing okay Jesus the lamb of God shows up on lamb selection day it's this beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, the one promised to Abraham is finally revealed publicly as promised, right? Up until this point in Jesus' ministry, it was all go and don't tell anybody. Go, go and don't tell of the things of, of who I am. Go, I, I'm, I'm still trying to fly under the radar here. All of these things, and then boom, he comes in 
And what we're about to read is just like this, boom! Jesus is finally magnified, and he is finally the, the Jesus that we view today in this moment. But, um, yeah, so then four days later after this Palm Sunday, which was last Sunday, um, is, uh, is the Passover Seder, okay? We, um, we call it the uh, Last Supper, Okay, this is when Jesus sat down with his disciples and they, this is the, this is the bread, take it and remember me. This is the wine, take it and remember me of my sacrifice for you. Um, so Passover Seder, the Last Supper per se, was already happening before Jesus. Do we understand that as well? And now we call it the Last Supper or Communion. But this is actually just Passover. This is just him saying, I am the Lamb of God. Take this and remember me because I am the Lamb of God. Okay? You with me so far? Good, 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 good. Um, so like tonight, on Thursday night, the disciples and Jesus were sitting at the table and having what we call as Last Supper. Do you see the imagery here? Right? Easter is Sunday. Tomorrow is Good Friday. This is the last moment. Okay? Cool. Uh, the Old Covenant was with Abraham, and now this is Jesus saying, I am sealing that and starting a new covenant by my blood. And the power of the imagery through all of this tonight is essential that we grasp onto. For the rest of this week, um, and into next week until we gather again on a Thursday, I want you to study three passages in Scripture, okay? Uh, I don't usually do this, but hey, I think it's really important so we understand the magnitude of what is happening here. So the first one is Genesis 15, Isaiah 53, and Psalm 22. Uh, Isaiah what and Psalm what? Yeah, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. So in the centuries before Jesus came, God had already planned out that his lamb would come and that he would cover or that he would give his life to cover all of sin. Okay? Um, so what is Lamb Selection Day about? It is the instigating moment where God the Son says, Here I am, and no one will miss this. Like, cool. All right. Let's uh, game on kind of thing, right? Um, so, and this is kind of where we're going to start seeing the contrast between lamb and lion. Like, why was he called the lamb of God, but then also the lion of Judah? Um, which is very fascinating, I promise. Um, so lambs are timid and quiet, and when they're killed, they don't squeal or holler or do anything. 
Um, speaking from firsthand experience, they don't move, they don't flinch, they just take it. They don't yell, they don't squeal like a pig, they don't moo like a cow, they just are quiet. Lambs are lambs. They're just there, you know? They're not... I don't know, they're, they're not much, you know? They taste really good, they give us some clothes, sorry Katie, and it's like... At the end of the day, it's like lambs are lambs. Don't they uh, represent innocence? Yeah, they do. Okay. Yep. Um, but then, so we see this lambness, and then we also see this great triumph as well. And if you t- if you want to start turning to Matthew twenty one, that's where we're going to be kind of in. This title on this passage is called the triumphal entry. And the Lamb of God doesn't, a lamb doesn't seem very triumphal, does it? You know, a lamb doesn't, you don't see a picture of a lamb with a crown on. You don't see a lamb running Lion King. You know, it's a a lion. (laughs) It's, I, I don't know how to say it any differently than it's just a lamb. You know, modern day Christianity titles the scripture the triumphal entry, and triumph doesn't sound too lammy. He comes seemingly as a conquering king, one who people wanted at this moment. One who who Jesus actually is, as we can kind of see today. The way people respond to Jesus is the way they had set their expectations for him to come in and conquer. Do you see this? You will, um, I promise, as we read it. I I just want to set this beautiful backdrop, and then you're going to be like, wow, Lex, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, but Jesus had his own role and his own expectation, and it was very, very different than what the people expected. Okay, Um, the entry is full of crowds, pomp, and full of shouting. All the people are yelling, save us, and waving waving palm branches, and laying out cloaks on the ground, and all kingly authority kind of symbolism. And at the end of this same week, four days later, tomorrow, all of a sudden Jesus is hung on a cross. Have we ever thought of this? (laughs) You know, like, he is being so glorified. People are laying out their clothes, their, their cloaks even, shouting, save us, you are, you are the promised one, all of these things. And then all of a sudden, he's hanging on a cross. From triumph to a cross. To an unlawful death, to brutality at its peak. What changed? What went wrong here? You know the the surface level answer is, oh well, he, you know, he whatever he offended people. But like, how did it get this bad? I mean, I've offended all of you guys, but you know, I'm not hanging on a cross. You know, like not yet as Jaden's mouthing, you know, like this is a wild, wild story of how fast things changed. 
So do you, you understand kind of where I'm coming from here? You understand the background that I'm kind of trying to paint here so that we understand like what the hell happened, <laughs> you know? How did this change so quickly? Okay? Cool. One second. Can't see my Bible. I thought your DoorDash got there. Sorry. <laughs> that would have been good. Okay, so we good. Any questions around any of that? No. Cool. Um, if there's not any questions, I I don't know what's going on. Especially this is going to be some heavy stuff, and I don't want anybody to miss it, okay? So Matthew 21, verse 1. Then this is where I want to kind of start reading um, of what actually happened on this day. Because uh, we see the tides turn, you know? We see the tides turn all in these first... I guess 17 verses, okay? And this is where where everything changed, okay? So I'm going to read first verses 1 through 11, okay? And it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, <laughs> and he will send them at once. I think that's really funny. The Lord needs them. Okay, cool. Here you go. Yeah, all right. Verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a beast of a burden. Verse 6. Then disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put on them their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay. So, Beautiful story, and it's all butterflies and rainbows up until this point, correct? Everything's good in the hood for Jesus. Uh, he knows what's about to come, though, right? Um, so when we read Scripture, um, there's, there's these different, and I say this loosely, so I hope you understand what I mean. There's these different levels of revelation that are built into it, okay? Sometimes it's super plain. And sometimes it's much, much deeper, okay? Um, this is one of those moments where we ha that has to kind of be dug into a little more to see what Jesus is, uh, is actually accomplishing, okay? We really need to grasp the deeper truth so that we understand what's going on here. That's why Jesus always said um, those with eyes to see and ears to hear that they would understand the real message. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's a deeper understanding in his scripture so that you can catch it. 
Um, I hate to say this, but it almost feels like this sometimes where we're almost going on a scavenger hunt. There, there's almost these hints and there's these clues of kind of unraveling the depth of what is actually being spoken here. Okay, so we have to catch what's happening. And uh, what's happening in this por- portion of scripture is just almost uh, just full of important imagery. Um, to make it a little bit more graphic, almost pregnant with imagery. Okay, um, so let's see the fullness here. The real story about Palm Sunday is not about palm branches and people yelling Hosanna. That's not the, that's not the real thing that's going on here. Um, the real story is Jesus challenging against, um, uh, the real story is the challenge against the bold, um, why am I struggling to talk? It's a challenge against the authority and the establishment of the religion at Jerusalem at large. That's what's happening right now. Jesus was not coming to save from worldly powers. Okay? Did you hear me? He's not coming to save from worldly powers. Okay. His mission was to save from the powers of sin and death and religion that has lost its way. Okay? So, um, if you guys uh, tuned in yesterday to Katie's little um, Coffee and Jesus um, study that she led us through, we talked about this I, this Bible study technique of um, remez. It's spelled R-E-M-E-Z. Okay? Um, it's a Hebrew word that means a hint. Okay, and it's just a, it's a, you don't need to remember the the word, it doesn't matter. It's just a way of studying scripture um, and teaching scripture to see the actual whole picture of what is being said. Think of it, think of it just this way, because this will help maybe um, you guys to understand it, is if you zoom really, really close up to a painting, you only see that portion of the painting, right? And sometimes that's what we get in scripture is just a zoomed-in version, and it's Matthew's account, right? But it, there's these moments where we need to actually zoom out so that we can see the entire spance of the painting so that we can actually understand all of what is happening, okay? Same thing if, like, you're taking a photograph of a landscape and you just zoom in on a one, one bird. That's just part of the actual panorama that you're actually there to see, okay? Does that help make sense a little bit more? Good. If we don't see the full view, we're actually missing what the person is saying. It's it's this weird idea, and it's it almost messes with your mind. Of it's not as important of what's actually said and what's actually being um, captured in the scripture. It's actually what's not being said, which is the actual really important part to actually tie in the fullness of the picture. Okay, does that make sense? So I'm going to show you how to do it tonight. I'm going to show you how to study that tonight and see the fullness of it, okay? And it's a lot of fun. Um, But please don't tune out. Stay with me, okay? If you tune out, you're going to be just like, "Ah, whatever, I give up. You know, don't do that, okay? 
you're, this is going to be really fun. You're going to get so excited, and you're going to understand everything about Jesus's life, and you're going to want to go read the uh, your favorite gospel again to actually see what is actually happening. Okay, I guarantee it. <laughs> okay, so Matthew twenty one one through five. Okay, um, this is Jesus asking for a donkey, right? Uh, that's all that one through five is really accounting for us. Um, but why a donkey? The obvious is to fulfill a, a prophecy that was spoken long ago, correct? Okay, Jesus had already prearranged this, um, and you know why? Why? I think the best way is because a prophecy needed to be fulfilled. So let's turn to Zechariah chapter 9. It's just behind Matthew and just behind Malachi, if that helps. What's your chapter? Uh, 9. Sorry, what, what chapter? Which book? Zechariah. Zechariah, okay. Okay, and we'll be in verse 9 as well. Zechariah 9.9. Nine. We're just going to read to 12, okay? So you'll see in verse 5, um, it, it, it sounds exactly like um, verse 9 in Zechariah 9.9, nine, okay? So let me read it real quick. And then we'll pick back up. So it says, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay? You see that? Sounds just like verse 5 in Matthew 21, right? I know this is deep stuff that I'm giving you. This is really cool, but we'll we'll keep on reading. So the promised lamb will come to Jerusalem, as we see prophetically. He will ride on a foal of a donkey. Okay. Um, through this little detail of the animal, he's actually saying to everyone um, that uh, he's a saving king that the prophecy is about. Right? He's bringing salvation. He's a saving king. So when he is um, actually riding in on a donkey here, and, and what Matthew is, uh, is capturing in verse 5 is that he is the one who is coming to save. He is the one that salvation is tied up in. Correct? Okay? That's really cool, first off, right? Now let's keep on going. 10 through 12, it gets even cooler. Um, and it says, I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations, and his rule shall be from sea to sea, and from river to the ends of the earth. Verse 11, for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoner of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. 
That's pretty cool, yeah? Okay, so now we get to kind of see the whole picture here. We get to see the whole expanse of why Matthew just quoted that little bit. Because what he said is not as important as what was unsaid. Just the, the bumper sticker of the prophecy was not as good as the whole entire story of the prophecy. Does that make sense? You'll get this concept of a lot of times... Um, just like sometimes the Lord speak to us, speaks to us in bumper sticker verses, we actually have to read the entire portion of Scripture to actually understand what he's speaking to us. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. Because sometimes the Lord's like, well, I've only got this person's attention for this bumper sticker moment. Right? And let's not enable that, but let's utilize it and say, okay, cool. You just spoke to me. Now I need to stop everything. Now I need to read and finish the rest of it. Okay? Does that make sense? Good, good, good. So what's amazing here is, yes, Jesus is coming in peace and is peace. And um, But when you read the rest, it says way more. Okay? He's going to be one on a mission to establish peace to everyone. Okay? And the second thing is why the Messiah needs to come is because the blood of my covenant is with you. These are two very, very important things. Okay? That promise is to be fulfilled um, that the Messiah is to ride in on a donkey. Now, if you didn't finish that text in Zechariah, you wouldn't see the fullness of the prophecy about the Messiah. And it's pretty cool, right? Okay, the message is that Jesus is the king of peace through the blood and the covenant that God has made to his people. Cool? Makes sense so far. Andrew, yeah. So in my, in my version, in, uh, in verse 10, it says, and from the river to the ends of the earth, and river is capitalized. I don't know if that's in your version at all. I don't know. What, why is it capitalized? Great question. I, I don't know. know. I know I have my message Bible open up too, and it's not giving me anything. So I don't know, man. Let me look into that. I'll get back to you. Okay. Oh, one other thing I just wanted to mention about this is it says waterless pit. What do you think that is? Is it sin? Uh, it can lead to sin. What, what do you think this actually is signifying? We've talked about waterless spaces before, correct? Yeah. Temptation? No. Come on, come on. I'll mute myself. Is it like a bad water or a good water? It's a waterless. I don't know what that means. <laughs> no water. No water. Wait, no water. There's not a bit. They're like, oh, never mind. Come on, somebody. We've talked about it before. I was. I remember that one time you talked, or like you had that demonstration of the water. Yeah. In the cup. Um, if I remember correctly. I'm not. Okay. It's um, Holy Spirit or like spending more time with Him would fill up the water. Correct. Like, okay. Correct. So then if it's waterless, what is that actually saying? You're not saved, right? No. We're overcomplicating it tonight. Katie, come on. 
Is it the absence of the Holy Spirit? It's absence. Yes. Yes. It's a life in... Um, it's... What, Hannah? Um, Andrew, I have the answer. It's the Euphrates River, so it's capitalized because it's a place. Because it's a specific river. Oh. That's what my Bible told me because it's also capitalized. Okay, cool. cool. Thanks, uh, Hannah. I'm sorry if you heard any of that. I tried to find a quiet room in the building. It's okay, man. Okay. Yeah, but Katie is completely right. It's a place without the Lord. He will set his prisoners free from that place. Right? So Gives... it's kind of like how if there's no water, then it's like no baptism. I mean, kind of. I mean, Holy Spirit is equated to um, the living water a lot in Scripture, right? So if yeah. if I have no water, then I'm sorry, Holy Spirit's not going to be very active over me, correct? Yeah. Okay. So that's what that's referring to, okay? Does that make sense? He sets his prisoners free from waterless places, from the waterless pit, from hell. He sets them free. That's cool. That's really, really cool. Okay, so we have to capture that um, also in the in the in that prophetic. Okay, let's turn back to um, Matthew twenty-one, and I just want to reread six through eleven just to make sure we're on the same page. Okay, it says. Then the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And... When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay? So the people shout out. They shout out, Hosanna. And I think it's fascinating that it says that the whole city was stirred. Does, does yours say that? The whole city was stirred. Okay? What's fascinating about that word stirred is it is actually better translated into shook. It's better translated almost in earthquake terms. It, it was that chaotic in the city because Jesus appeared on the scene riding in on a donkey. Right? Everybody else was expecting this big war horse. Right? As a conquering, I'm going to take down Rome kind of guy. Right? But he rides in on a donkey, and the place was so shaken, it almost was as if there was an earthquake. This, there was this much going on when Jesus arrived. Up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he had not revealed himself publicly, um, and now this is the first moment where himself and his disciples get to yell this is messiah as loud as they can like they finally have this freedom everything else was jesus saying no 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 no, no. be quiet if they don't accept you brush your shoulder all that kind of stuff you know be quiet be quiet be quiet go and don't tell anybody 
but sin no more kind of thing, right? At this moment, it's just yelling. The crowd around Jesus is made up of mostly his followers, but then there were these three million people in the city. Three million people in the city all seeing this. I want you to remember that three million number because it's going to come into play at the end, okay? And they began to shout and started declaring to everyone that the Messiah is here. And they're finally doing it loud and proud, right? Good. So there's three things that the people are saying here. First thing is they're yelling, Hosanna, right? Hosanna is just a, um, or I, I think you say it uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, Hoshana, I think. Don't quote me on that. It's like Hoshana. I'm very, I'm very uh, insecure about that, but uh, it's uh, Hosanna. All right. It means um, save us. That's all it means. Save us. So that song, that really old song, some of you guys might not even know it. It goes Hosanna, Hosanna, just like that. Reggie will do it better, but uh, that was my rendition. It, it's just save us, save us over and over again. Um, and the way they were saying it at this time was a situational, circumstantial way of saying Hosanna. Save us from what's going on around us in our earthly realm. Does that make sense? Okay, that's what the people's expectation was. Remember this? Remember, they expected somebody to just save them from the evil powers of earth. Not the evil powers of supernatural, but earthly, right? So the way they were saying it was save us from these people. Save us from these people. Save us from these people. Okay? Then the second thing is uh, they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Which son of David is, uh, is like an identifier of his king, king line and his kingship. Um, the line of King David was a political king line. Okay? Uh, it's hard to be a king without being a little bit political, right? And if you know the story of David, uh, he fell into good and bad politics, right? So um, that's really important. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a um, family line and a name line of power and of kingship. And in, of kingship, sorry. Uh, but also in a messianic line and the line of Judah. Okay? The tribe of Judah. Does that make sense? Okay. And then they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And if you guys have read the Psalms before, which I know some of you guys have actually been on a journey through Psalms, um, this is exactly out of Psalms 118. Okay? So turn there real quick with me. And they say this as a pr proclamation. And there's this greeting, you know, there's this surface level greeting of blessing, you know, like bless you, brother, kind of thing. Um, but what's actually happening here is a little bit different. This is another one of those remez or hint kind of things, you know. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It means we have to kind of investigate a little bit more about what this is saying. 
So go to verse 26 in Psalm 118. Everybody there? Cool. I'm going to read it to you if, if you're not there. Um, but verse 26 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, sounds familiar. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he made his light to shine upon us. Bind this festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. And then this is where just, this is just beautiful here in verse 28. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay? So we see this. And I love this. Okay, so we see the, the bumper sticker phrase again, right? And it's great. It's a very good thing, you know. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why? Okay, let's discover why. It's um, from this house is the temple, right? If we look back at the Psalm 118, right? We bless you from the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is the temple, that's what's being said. Matthew only quotes a little bit, right? It's this is a blessing from God's house, from God's temple, okay? And it, it is exactly the place Jesus goes upon entering Jerusalem. And as we continue, you'll, uh, you'll see that, okay? Um, and then it says the light has come, right? Jesus is the light of the world. Right? Do we see all the connections here? Am I losing anybody? Are we okay? Are we all right? Okay. The light, the light has come. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then third, bind the festal sacrifice. That means the sacrificial lamb is here. And here comes Jesus saying, I am the lamb of God. And then last, you know, God's love and promise lasts forever. Right? Just because this covenant's about to quote unquote close does not mean that all of a sudden his love and promise doesn't or halts. It actually is going to continue forever for his love endures forever. Yes? Okay. So do you see the fullness of, of the picture of what, you know, of how confused these people actually are that are yelling at Jesus at this moment? Right? They're, they're acknowledging his identity, his earthly identity, I guess. They're acknowledging his saving ability. And they're also blessing him from the Father's house. All three of these things can also go to a prophet as well. And that's why they say that is the prophet Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, you see this? Are you guys, is this kind of cool or is this just like whatever, Lex? This is stupid. Okay, cool. All right. So like last week, we were talking about the difference between teacher and Lord, right? That was last week, yes? Okay. Same thing here. Now they're just identifying him as a prophet. I guess that's an upgrade from a teacher, <laughs> you know, but still not, oh my gosh, that's Jesus, the Messiah, who has come to save us from death and the sin. 
Yeah? They're just calling him a prophet. Like that's that that guy's got cool things to say from the Lord. Right? That he's not the Lord, but he talks to him pretty pretty regularly, you know? <laughs> kind of thing. Uh so uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they identify him as a prophet still. Okay? And it says people start to cut branches off. And that's part of just a, a Middle Eastern tradition, okay? It's just a Middle Eastern tradition of a conquering hero or king walking into your city, okay? Cult culturally, that's completely true. All clo the cloaks and the branches is how they welcome kings, especially back in that, in that time period, okay? Um, He's being extolled from many, many people, all excited about Passover week in front of them. You know, Passover is a big time. You know, even in Jewish culture, it's a very celebratory time. It's not a somber moment. It's not just like, oh, oh, pass over me, God. No, it's like, it's like, hey, the Lord's going to pass over us. We are his people. This is good. Let's eat a bunch of lamb and, and be well and all of this stuff, you know. If you have any Jewish friends, it's like, oh man, it's an exciting, exciting time. Um, so they were, you know, with everything that was going on in in the city, and then this dude walking or coming into the city on a donkey, and all of these things. It's just like, hey, let's just celebrate, you know, all the all up, celebrate, and it was cool. Um, at this point, Jesus could have done a lot of things, right? It's always really, really dangerous when you have a lot of excited people who um, are are uh, excited to see you. There's there there's opportunity for corruption here, you know. Um, but Jesus could have started a rebellion here, right? He had the attention of a ton of people. He could have started a rebellion. If he had been somebody driven by flesh and politics. He could have just taken over, but he didn't. He could have called people to rise against the temple priesthood. It was, it was totally corrupt and full of problems, as we'll talk about in a second. And he could have come in as a religious reformer, but he didn't because he was more. He could have declared himself king of Israel, went for power, you know, and looking for another political power method, but he didn't. What's he do? He does two things. He presents himself as a spotless lamb of God to the temple priest on lamb selection day. And then goes to a temple. And he goes to the temple and he begins to purify the father's house. Right? We see Psalm 118 creep up in this again. Becomes, and he was sent from his father's house. So now he's going in to purify it. Okay? So now we start to begin to see these two contrasts kind of come into play here. Jesus being a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. Here I am as the festal sacrifice to be bound to an altar. Right? And then two, we see him as the Lion of Judah. 
This is a beautiful picture of the twofold, uh, twofold role of Messiah. We toss this truth around of that he is lion and the lamb. But, you know, here's the depth of all of it. Here's the entirety of all of it. The lamb is the first mission to take away the sins of man, which is then followed by the lion resurrected and on his, di- on his way back in a very, very different role. <laughs> very, very different role. Um, if you want to go study Revelation, you'll see the role of the lion side of Messiah. Uh, it uh, it will definitely want you to take um, Jesus a little bit more seriously because he's coming back, um, and it's like, whoa, dang, okay, he's coming back. I, I'm not gonna get you know I was raised Baptist. I won't get too Baptist of like turn and burn on you, but you know, but there is that side of this of like, holy crap. I, I love the lamby lamb Jesus, you know, but the lion Jesus is like, holy crap. The, what we're about to see is just the surface level of the lionhood of Jesus. And then you get to see the fullness of it in Revelation. But uh, we'll talk about that maybe 10 years from now. Um, <laughs> Matthew 21. Uh, let's dive back into Matthew 21. You guys still good? Having fun? We Okay. All right, this is where it kind of starts to ramp up, I promise. As if it hasn't already, but. <laughs> okay, now we're going to go um, verse 12 through 17. Okay, so your title obviously reads, Jesus cleanses the temple. Okay, so uh, this is kind of where the tides turn. All righty. We see he comes in as a triumphal king. Everybody's glorifying him for who they think he is. And then here we go. Okay, so verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Um, Verse 13. He said to them, it is written. Here's another one of those Remez moments, okay? Ready? He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Verse 14, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read as it's written, Remez, out of the mouths of infants and babes? Uh, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Okay, all right, okay, 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 okay. On the surface, this portion is about Jesus going into the temple and flipping over tables, right? And that's, that's you know, that's the way it was preached to me. It was just like, oh, Jesus was angry because they, they were selling and trading in the church. And that it was not meant for that. 
And yeah, that's very surface level, and I agree. It's not meant for that, you know? Um, upon entering the city, you know, after he crests over the Mount of Olives on his donkey, he immediately steps into the temple and starts driving everything out, okay? Just moments ago, Jesus was a prince of peace riding in on a donkey. And then his righteousness takes over and he starts to get physical. Isn't this interesting? Jesus does all of this in front of the temple leaders and three million people. Do you see the stage here? Do you see everything at work here? This is where it just starts to blow my mind. Jesus calls out the priesthood and the people of Israel. He calls them out. Okay? First, he says, My house shall be a house of prayer. This is more than just a statement of the temple being a place of worship and money things shouldn't be happening. And yeah, again, that's the surface level thing. But I want to show you the confrontational truth behind this. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 56. Okay, so of course, turn to Isaiah 56. So we can see the fullness of what he's actually saying in front of all these people. Isaiah 56, verse 6. And we'll go to... Um, we'll go to 11. Okay? Everybody there? Cool. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, profane it and holds fast to my covenant... These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them a joyful to make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my on my altar. And here it is, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. All peoples. Let me keep on going. Verse 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Okay, this is fascinating, all right? Well, remember that, okay? Because we're going to be talking about that a little bit more. And I know, I'm all over the place, but I'm so excited about this, okay? Now, verse 9. All you beasts of the field come to devour, all you beasts in the forest. Um, his watchmen are blind. They are without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough, but they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each 
on his own gain, one and all. Oh, damn. Okay, so now we see the fullness of what Isaiah is saying and the bumper sticker of what Jesus said. Okay, remember, it's not what is said that's most important, it's what's not said that's the most important. Okay, we have to get the full image of that prophecy to understand what Jesus is actually saying to these people. Because it's like, oh, frick, that's pretty heavy. Okay, so if you missed it, I'm going to talk through it, of course, and it's going to be wonderful. Okay, so, um, yeah, you guys are so lucky, you know. You don't even have to pay for this kind of study. You just get to be here and, you know, whatever. Madison just nudged me and was like, stop. So, okay. In here, Jesus only quotes the second half of verse 7, right? So remember, again, it's not what is said, it's what's not said. And Jesus' confrontation is loud, okay? Here Jesus, or, or sorry, Let's look at what's before and after to see the bunch of condemnation, the bunch of warning, and the bunch of judgment that is coming to these people um, and what Jesus is really saying, okay? The priests knew the word, right? They studied it. It was part of their job. That's the way they viewed it. It was part of their job. It was how they were taken seriously, um, is they studied the word so that they could be taken seriously by other people, and what Jesus is saying is to confront them of a harsh reality of what's to come. Okay? Yes, it's a sin to use the church for your gain and to trade and so on. But Jesus is saying here there's a bigger issue at play. First thing, first issue is the failure of Israel's mission from God to reach the entire world. That was his first commission ever. Remember? All peoples. My temple is for all peoples. Not just you who are Jewish. All peoples. Which we'll talk about. Okay? And then the second is the failure of the religious leaders and the shepherds of that time. Not like the lamb shepherds, but like the shepherds of people, the, the leadership of the church. Okay? So this is what's being said. This is what Jesus is calling them out to and saying, hey, there's bigger things at play. So let me embellish a little bit. Lost sight of mission. God's calling to Israel was an ancient calling that they were the light of the world and they were to reach out to the surrounding peoples. Okay, They were to be an example of godliness to a pagan people that was around them. Okay, Instead, at that time, the temple that Jesus went into was designed differently than the way it was supposed to be in Exodus. Okay, This is where you really, really want to pay attention. Okay, because this is why he turned over the tables. He didn't just go to into a normal temple and the normal tabernacle that we've studied before. This was a di different design of the, um, of the temple and the tabernacle. Okay, there was a couple different rings. And what these rings, not like finger rings, but rings of like courts. Let me say it that way. There was a couple different courts. 
um, in a couple different areas of the temple, and um, they were sectioned off. They were almost segregated, for lack of a better term, okay? There was this outer ring, which is the one that Jesus stepped into, okay? This is the furthest point um, from the temple that is still considered the quote-unquote temple, <laughs> okay? It's not inside the church. It's barely in the parking lot, to use our, our, our terms today, okay? Um, and this is the place of the pagans and the Gentiles and the non-Jewish, okay? For some way or another, they discovered who God was, <laughs> and they showed up at the temple, and they got into this court. Um, it's weird because somehow, in some way, people still came to the temple even though all of the leadership and all of the people of Israel refused to share it with anybody else. Somehow, in some way, these people still showed up at the doorstep. I love that, right? No matter how screwed up, I, I'm not going to get into that because I don't want to enable it. You know, it's like amazing. It's this beautiful thing of like the Lord is still speaking to his people and saying, hey, I want you to go to my house. Do you guys see that? That's amazing. That's so cool. You guys are like, oh, cool, whatever, dude. Just like get to your point. Yeah, I've got a lot of points in this if you haven't noticed. Okay, this was the place for the non-Jews. Okay. Oh, see Zach. This was the place for the non-Jews. Okay, the Gentiles. And the only way you got to come closer to the temple is if you went through this specific process to become a quote-unquote Jew in their eyes. Okay. Um, so that outer ring was filled with the merchant tables and things to buy and almost like a, uh, almost like a goodie, how do you, what is it? Like a market, but like a souvenir shop for them coming to the temple. Huh? Yeah, that's all I could think of. It was like a souvenir shop. And it's what the Jewish people set up in that, in that ring, in that court. Um, so the Gentiles could come and buy souvenirs for being at the temple so that they felt closer to God. Okay? Do you see how screwed up this is? Are you guys with me? you see how jacked up this is? Okay? Um, and it was actually a place where you could go buy a lamb. You could go to these tables and go buy a lamb for your Passover. And this turned into the Gentile view of the Father's house. What a shame, right? And, you know, maybe it'll help if I make this. What, what would that look like in our day? You walk into this back room. Everybody else goes in because they're members. <laughs> they're members at your church. Everybody else goes into the main sanctuary. But you, because you're not a member, you get taken into the souvenir shop first, and then you get to go into an isolated space that you don't even, you, you essentially get to hear what the person is saying, but you don't get to see it. There's no TV screen set up. You just get to hear it pumped in if you're quiet enough. 
Does that make sense? Do you see their view and actually like how skewed their view became of God? Because they thought that was normal. That was, the, that was their new normal. The Gentiles, right? You see what's happening here? Imagine the way you as a Gentile would view the house of God. What a shame, you know? And there was actually, you know, to even bump this up a notch, there was a wall separating the, this outer ring. And there was a sign on it that, um, that said on, uh, essentially said only people from Jewish nation can come beyond this threshold. And to even ramp it up more, if a Gentile came through, they would kill him. So do you see their lens on what the father's house was? Do you see the picture? The leaders of the time didn't have the, set, the temple set up the way it was supposed to be set up by God. Right? They adjusted it for their liking, for their own comfort. So all the people who wanted to hear truth that weren't Jews were viewed as second-class citizens in the temple. That's why Jesus is doing this. Do you see now why Jesus is actually going in and flipping tables and, and whipping merchants out of the courtyard? Do we see it now? Like, okay, now it makes a little bit more sense. He knew, Jesus knew what Israel's mission was, and it was to reach all people, all nations. And Jesus, um, you know, when Jesus gave that great commission to his disciples, he was just repeating what God already ordained to everybody. Right? He was just reiterating it. Hey, this is still for everybody. Hey, this is still for everybody. Right? Do you see how profound this is? After this moment, then Jesus comes in Matthew uh, chapter 28 and says, hey, now go to all the nations and preach my gospel and good news. Right? That's why he's doing this. He just went into this temple, flipped stuff over, whipped people out of here so that we, he, he opened the door back into evangelism to go share the good news with everybody. That's really cool. Yeah, Lex, that is so cool. Man. Yeah, man, that's great. Yeah. Okay. He was just reiterating it. He wanted everyone today and back then. Yes, he wants everybody. He wants everybody to come know him. Okay? And Jesus is reacting in this way because he was seeing what the Father's house got turned into. The leaders made it so difficult to convert to convert for the Gentiles, right? He made it near impossible. Or they made it, sorry. And the Apostle Paul reiterates in Galatians, faith is what God honors. Faith is what, is what makes people come to God, right? Paul is just translating again what Isaiah 56 has already said. He will accept everybody. Okay, so Jesus... Yeah, I gotta go. Oh, bye, Lex. Hey, bye, Chase. Good to see you. Bye, everyone. Okay, 
So Jesus is flipping over tables in the Gentile court. And Jesus gets so upset at the loss of the mission that God has put on his people. Correct? Jesus saw that the nations were coming coming to the temple, but quickly isolated from the fullness of the Father's temple. They were being held out. And how tragic. This was not what God's plan was. This is why Jesus is flipping the tables. This is why Jesus is whipping the merchants. It's because he wanted Jew and Gentile to come and worship Almighty God. This is wild, right? Okay. This is all cool and, you know, very knowledgeable, but how's this actually look in our churches? How does this look at the home? No, if you don't look like us, don't talk like us, then I'm sorry, you're out. It's scary. And we make it so, or do we make it so hard for people to actually get involved at the home? Or the other church that you go to, whatever. Or the American church, you know? How hard is it for somebody to actually come? do the same things just in different ways to deter people from coming to our father's house. Maybe we need to see this wake-up call as well. How can we not be the church that Jesus visits right away to shake things up and cleanse? Can you imagine being that temple leader? He came to your temple. <laughs> Holy crap. He came to your temple, dude? Oh, worst pastor ever, right? Oh, how small would you feel? Yeah, we need to remember our mission. That's the bottom line, guys. And the cool thing is, you know, we're not done with this sermon yet. So that's not my closer, okay? So um, let's keep on going. Then he is, so, so he's confronting the leaders of the temple, right? This is what he's also doing in this whole entire thing. He's calling out the leaders of the temple, Jesus is shouting out, you, just like Isaiah 56 says, you are without knowledge. You are silent sleeping dogs. You're gluttons. You are greed driven men and, you, and that is your motivation for ministry. Oh, frick. Yeah, that's a big deal. All right, Jesus is getting real fired up here yeah okay this is what jesus is saying out of this one little phrase my house shall be a house of prayer he is saying all of this do you understand this i'm not making this crap up tonight this is real this is what he's doing he's saying all of this this one quote quickly makes the priest calling for his arrest right so boom tables of Literally turned. <laughs> Get it? Only you guys who are well, listening. <laughs> yes. The little the, the tables have literally turned, right? Because when you are confronted with truth, you have two responses, right? You've heard this before, probably. You are either humbled and you repent, or you are prideful and you puff up. <laughs> 
right? Well, we can see what the leaders of that temple did. They were prideful, they got offended, they got pissed off, and they puffed up and said, arrest this man, yes? These leaders knew what he was challenging, and they did not like it one bit. They knew the depth of what Jesus was saying. And Jesus was calling them out in the motivation of power, money, and politics that they were consumed by. Okay? We see all of this in the church today, but I mean... That's not the point of this message, but we do. We see it all in the church today, you know? A bunch of leadership motivated by self-approval. yippee ki ah, whatever. Not even going to get into that. Okay, but then Jesus adds more in <laughs> Matthew 21, 13. He says, you have made it a den of robbers. He is piling it on. Which, guess what? That's another Remez moment. Go to Jeremiah 7. And we'll be in verse 8 through 11. Okay. Verse 8 through 11. Here we go. Actually, yeah, you're right. Eight. Ready? Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. You will steal, murder, commit, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal. Oh, damn. Uh, that's the devil. <laughs> okay. And go after other gods that you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered. Only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which has been called by name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Okay. So yeah, he's piling it on here. Jesus is accusing all people of Israel at this point now. Right? Not just the leadership now. Because now, hey, yeah, leadership has sucked. But hey, what about you guys? Don't you guys know truth? He's accusing all the people of Israel who are coming there to worship and their, their leadership saying how they can walk in sin and follow other gods. And all of the religious leaders are saying, it's okay. They're all saying it's okay. Just so that they'll continue to give to their temple just so that they continue to have their businesses supported by the Gentile courts, just so that everybody feels comfortable with the Gentiles on the outside so the Jewish people can be on, in, in, on the inside. 
He's calling the deceived and not okay. He's calling them deceived and not okay. God sees it all. How often do we feel the same way in the church, punching our time card and fooling ourselves that we're good? God knows, and Jesus is calling them out. Not only was the temple being robbed of money, which again is the surface level idea here, but that God is being robbed of his holy worship. That's the challenge. That the Gentiles couldn't worship, that the leadership had corrupt motives, and that many people were backslidden and total hypocrites, but being told that it was okay. Now do you see why Jesus is flipping over the tables? Now do you see why Jesus is pissed, (laughs) for lack of a better term? Look at Jesus in Revelation. This is nothing. This is the line of Judah. Jesus is drawing the line in the sand. He's saying, nope, I'm done with this. Here is your warning. Because next time, I'm coming back with eyes of fire on my war horse. (laughs) That's really amazing, right? So after all of this cleansing, if we look back in Matthew 21, this is, this is the beauty of everything Jesus, okay? This, this is huge. Um, 21, we'll go 14 through 16. I'll just read it one more time just to refresh us. And after he drops this bomb on the leadership and all the people of Israel, then he says... Or then what happens is all the blind, all the lame came into the temple and he healed them. Okay, so back to lamb Jesus. Right? Lion Jesus has left the building, now lamb Jesus is back. But when the chief priest saw the wonderful things that he did and the children the children crying out in the temple hosanna to the son of david they were indignant and they said to him do you hear what these people are saying and jesus said to them yes have you ever read that out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise amazing yes Who came to Jesus in the temple? The blind, the lame, and the children came to see him and gathered around him. Then Jesus, for the first time in the most public fashion of all time, in front of three million people on Lamb Selection Day, in front of all the temple priests, in the heart of Israel, he heals He heals. And what is their response? The leadership gets pissed. And if we remember, we've just been studying how these folks have been asking Jesus for a sign. 
They've been begging him for a sign. And then here he is giving them the most amazing sign. And they're like, oh, screw this. (laughs) Isn't this amazing? They became pissed. Why? Because they didn't believe in the supernatural. Oh, you knew I was going here, baby. They didn't believe in the supernatural. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, here it is right in front of your eyes. Oh, sorry, here's the pill. You want to swallow it? Because it's true. They didn't believe in the supernatural. And, you know, this is still happening today. You know, these people are, are usually called fundamentalists or cessationists, as we would call them today. No move of the Spirit, just Bible, that's it. But I'm sorry the supernatural is still alive today. hate to break it to you, um, but it's in the Bible. It doesn't come back void. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, anyways, side, side trail, you know. I, we won't go down that one. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But it's truth. Okay. The leadership viewed themselves as the religious authority in Israel and the guiding power over the people's minds. How creepy, okay? First, just creepy. And then Jesus was just blowing all of that up and shutting that all down, right? That's what he's doing. And then shouts of Hosanna were were viewed as a rebellion against political power of Rome, right? Because that's what people were expecting, to save me from my earthly situation. And the religious leaders wanted to shut that up, so they immediately rejected Jesus. What was more important to them? To maintain control, position, power, salary, and their religion that they created. Not moving into this Messiah that they've been dreaming of. Well, maybe they've been dreaming of. doesn't sound like they've been dreaming of. I actually take that back. They probably dreaded this day because it meant that their time was up. Their glory was up. Leadership, at least. I hope the people were still excited. And then Jesus quotes again, out of the mouths of infants and of babes. Right? Where's that out of? Psalm 8. And as you guessed, of course, I'm going to read it to you. Psalm 8, and we're just going to do verse 1 and 2. Ready? O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Okay, cool. So we see just the mouths of babes part, and then what's stacked on top and below that? The big stuff. Jesus saying is the temple priesthood is a foe of God. Oh, dang. And Jesus is telling them that they aren't right with God. Verse 3. 
The infant and the lame are praising me because they know the truth. This is an amazing confrontation, right? Do you see the depth of all that's going on here? Do you see how quick all of this happens? This couldn't have taken more than an hour, right? <laughs> you know? That, I mean, it's just a couple verses and, and all of this triumphal entry to I have made the leadership of the temple indignant. All of this lamb, then to lion, then back to lamb. All of these things, it's just like, wow, this all happened quick. And it's this age-old theme of all of Scripture of who understands Jesus first. It's not the prideful. It's not the egotistical. It's the ones who want more of God. As Messiah. Not as someone to get them out of their earthly situation. Because as we... As you read on, as Good Friday happens, all of these same people who were cheering are the same people who hung him on the cross. Are the same people who turned their back to him and said, well, you're not what we expected. But the people who receive Jesus the most are the ones who want more of him. Not for their own gain. It didn't say that the lame and the blind ran up to Jesus and said, and commanded him to heal them. No, they were just like, hey, the Messiah's here. He's here. And then they got their healing. They came humbly. When Jesus comes, it is only the humble that will receive. It's the ones who put masks and make excuses of why they, quote-unquote, see me, look at me, why they have God, even though their life doesn't proclaim it. We've all been in this boat. We can all be honest in this room. We've all put our masks on. We've all made excuses to impress our brothers and sisters in Christ. But uh, how often has that brought you closer to Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> never <laughs> never it will never work why because you're trying to prove yourself not prove jesus through yourself correct our life has to proclaim jesus this is the challenge that jesus is making jesus is more than the moral teacher he's the lion and the lamb he's the messiah what would happen if we just fell at the feet of the lord and called him Lord, and took him as he is. Instead of, oh, Lord, are you going to step on that too? Oh, we don't like you. Oh, you're going you're gonna to challenge us in that area? Oh, sorry, we got to hit the road, Jack. We're going to hang you on the cross now. How, how many of us are making so many excuses that we're still pinning Jesus on the cross today? Try to swallow that one tonight. How many of us are still trying to prove ourselves to everybody else? But in the midst of it, we're putting him back on the cross. Making excuses, putting him back on the cross. 
saying that we're spending time with the Lord when we're not, putting it back on the cross. We are lying. We're leading our brothers and sisters astray. We're leading ourselves astray. And we're saying that it's okay not to, not to invest in our relationship with the Lord. You see what happened just in this little, little piece of history. It's super challenging. You know? It's super challenging. It's super convicting of like, holy crap. That's brutal. That's almost tough for, for it should be tough for all of us to swallow because it's challenging. Like, man, am I making excuses? Do I just not want to be challenged in, in, in guys group or on Thursday because I didn't spend time with the Lord this week? You know? Do I not just, do I, do I just want to continue to live in this sin even though I know it's wrong and I just am going to deem it up as okay because a word of knowledge has not been spoken over my life. <laughs> I believe that. You see what, ha what happened here? He is the lion and the lamb. You know? It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of everything that Jesus is actually doing. And how triumphal this entry actually is. That's why it's called the triumphal entry. Because he blows everything out of the water. He loads an RPG up into his freaking bazooka and blows up everything that they accepted as okay. Right? And I said it that way because he put a bazooka in a bazooka and then shot the bazooka. <laughs> yeah, that's stupid, I know. It saves. So do we see this? Does that all make sense? I think it's just beautiful of everything that's not said that adds so much more character and abundance to this story of like, why did he go in and flip the tables? You know, just because they had little little booths set up, you know? I used to sell donuts every single Sunday in my church. <laughs> Was he about to flip that over, you know? No, no. He flipped it over because it was only in the Gentile courts. He flipped it over because it was for he was for all people, not just for the Jewish. And he's still for all people. More than he ever has been. You know? And he's got a lot of people who claim to be on his side, but he needs more people who are on his side. He needs more leadership who says, hey, you did screw up. Hey, your sin is not okay, and I want it to feel as uncomfortable as it is, as, as possible, whenever we're talking about Jesus. Right? That's the goal. Cool?